Is America a Christian nation? The answer to that question stirs great emotion. It brings up issues of the First Amendment, separation of church and state, and other topics that often inflame passion and produce confusion. Today, some clarity. Welcome to Evidence and Answers with Pat Zuckerman. Dr. Zuckerman is a popular speaker and scholar specializing on world religions, worldviews, and matters of faith and culture. And we've collected resources for you on our website, evidenceandanswers.org. Everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism is available in Pat's books and articles, past radio shows, and interviews with leading experts. So take a look around at evidenceandanswers.org. No matter where you are on your spiritual journey, you'll find topics that will fascinate and inform you. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Now here's Pat speaking on One Nation Under God. Psalm 32 verse 12 says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people whom He has chosen as His heritage. And throughout history, nations who honor God and His moral law thrived and prospered and were blessed. We see throughout the Old Testament as the nation of Israel and other nations abided by God's moral principles and acknowledged and lived in the fear of God, they thrived and were blessed. And we see throughout world history, as nations embrace the gospel, we see it as it swept west through Europe, nations that embrace the gospels, the standard of living rose, they thrived and they prospered. In fact, several centuries ago, the nations of Europe, when they embraced the gospel, they thrived and they prospered and they not only became economic powers that discovered and planted uh, new societies throughout the world, but wherever they went, they brought the gospel with them. And the nations of Europe, especially England and the other nations, uh, became great missionary sending countries who sent missionaries throughout the world. You'll be surprised as I travel throughout the world, how many nations you know, you look at where the Christianity began. It began because of the nations like England who came and brought missionaries and established mission societies and established churches throughout nations all over the world. And America has been a very blessed nation. For these last two centuries, no nation in the world has risen to power as quickly and has prospered and been so blessed and been a nation of freedom as the United States have been. And a study of American history reveals how we got here. And one of the key factors is our unique history and our heritage. America was built upon biblical Christian foundations that played a key role, a vital role, in the founding of our nation. Christianity played a major role in our nation from the very beginning, from our first settlers to the creation of our government and even to our educational system. But we have a very unique heritage in that our nation was founded on biblical Christian principles from its very beginning. The pilgrims who came here, if you read their writings, in fact, if you even want to go before that and read the autobiography of Christopher Columbus okay, and those who came and discovered America, they were driven by their Christian faith to come here and to spread the gospel throughout the new world. You know, when I was growing up, I never heard these things. The only thing I heard that drove people to discover and found America was money. Everything was explained in economic terms. Things like the Civil War and all this was driven by what? Economics, by money. I never knew that 
the Christian faith played such a vital role in the founding of our nation from its very beginning. The pilgrims came here, and in the Mayflower Compact, they write this, that it is in the name of God, amen. We whose names are underwritten, the loyal subjects of our dread sovereign Lord King James, have undertaken for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith and the honor of our king and country, a voyage to plant the first colony in the northern parts of Virginia. And you read the documents of the early settlers, of our founding fathers, it is replete with the mention of God and citations from the Bible. It's just absolutely undeniable. It is Christian faith and religious freedom and the desire to build societies built on biblical Christian principles that drove many of the early settlers to establish societies and cities here in the United States. Go to the original documents and read them. Christianity and the Bible was vital in the, forming the foundational pillars of our government. Read the Bill of Rights, the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, the Federalist Papers, on and on. It is replete, built on biblical Christian foundational principles. Take a look at the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Here in our founding document, the Declaration of Independence, it mentions what? A creator, creation, and God-given absolute truths and moral rights. Those are the very things banned from our public schools today. You can't go in there and teach about creator, or creation, or absolute truth and inalienable rights. The principles upon which our founding fathers wrote and built our constitution and our governmental system. In fact, Several historians, and here's a very famous work here by Donald Lutz and Charles Heinemann, ju done just very recently, they began to question and say, where did the ideas of our Constitution and the Bill of Rights and our ideas for the foundation of our government come from? Now, when I was in school, I was taught that they learned something brand new. This is something totally brand new, never before. And that they uh, really got these ideas and they were original thinkers about it. The study was shown by these two political science professors, and it was discovered as they studied 15,000 documents written from 1760 to 1805. The most cited work throughout all of these works was the Bible. Here from 1760 to 1805, thousands of documents were written talking about government and the principles that would go into the foundations of our government which we have today. 30% of the citations came from the Bible. Nothing else came close. 8% came from Montesquieu, 7% from John Locke, and then others. But by far, the most quoted source was the Bible. Also, a lot of the ideas came from, guess where? Pastors. The preaching of the pastors would be written down. And they didn't have radio or tape recorders like we have now. The sermons of the pastors in the early colonies were written down and their sermons were passed around. And the pastors of that day spoke of justice, of freedom, of, of a just government, of a moral law. And a lot of their sermons are what went into the creation of our Constitution and the Bill of Rights and the Federalist Papers. Hey, our founding fathers, this is where they got their ideas from. And so the Bible and Christianity was foundational to the formation of the greatest government that we have here upon the earth. Even our educational system 
okay, was built upon Christian biblical principles. Not only the elementary through high school level, but also at the collegiate level, the very first college, Harvard, dates that its mission was to consider the well-main end of his life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life. In fact, David Barton and others have done studies and they've discovered that of the 108 first colleges in America, 106 of them were founded on the Christian faith. Many of them were designed to train men and women to go into full-time ministry and also to train men in their particular skills that they would go into but to do it for the glory of God. Men and women were trained in the biblical worldview to have biblical principles as they go out into the workforce. In fact, of the 56 men who signed the Declaration of Independence, 24 of them had seminary degrees and were in ministry. Christianity and biblical principles lay the foundation of this nation. In fact, John Adams, the second president of the United States, said this, The general principles on which the fathers achieved independence were the only principles in that which the beautiful assembly of young gentlemen could unite. And what were these general principles? I answered the general principles of Christianity in which all sects were united. The church was involved and must continue to remain salt and light in our culture and even in our political process. You see, the Bible and Christianity played a key role in the foundation of our country from the very first settlers to the formation of our government to even our educational system. Now, why is it important to remember our heritage? George Washington stated this, our first president, of all disposition and habits which lead to political prosperity, religion and morality are indispensable supports. See, history has shown us any form of government is only as good as its people. And especially in a democracy, the strength of democracy rests upon, do the, are the people morally good? Are they a just and morally good people? Do they have a good understanding of truth? Truth is what forms the foundation of a moral law code, which forms a system of justice. Are the people good? If the people are good, then they will elect officials who reflect their values, who are just and good, who go to make laws that are just and are consistent with the principles of God's word. One cannot have freedom without a just moral law code. And one cannot have a just moral law code without absolute standard of truth. And for many centuries, as we see throughout American history, the Bible was the standard of truth which the church defended and promoted and was a big part of the foundation of our nation. George Washington, in his farewell address to the nation, gave us this warning. He said this, and let us with caution indulge the supposition that morality can be maintained without religion. Whatever may be conceded to the influence of refined education on minds of peculiar structure, reason, and experience, both forbids us to expect that national morality can prevail in the exclusion of religious principle. John Locke, his ideas are what the founding fathers drew from. He was a key, key thinker. If you read the writings, you know, the Bible is by far the most quoted work. Next probably comes this man, John Locke. Okay? His philosophy 
undergirded a lot of the foundations of our government and society here in the United States. He writes this, the study of morality, of this there are books written both by ancient and modern philosophers, but the morality of the gospel doth so exceed them all, that to give man a full knowledge of true morality, I shall send him to no other book but the New Testament. John Witherspoon, he was one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence, first president of Princeton University. Princeton was a major evangelical uh, seminary and university that trained thousands of young men into the ministry. One of the greatest minds who also became one of the greatest preachers America has ever produced. Jonathan Edwards was a product of Princeton and later a president of that seminary as well. John Witherspoon stated this, It is the man of piety and inward principle that we may expect to find the uncorrupted patriot, the useful citizen, and the invincible soldier. President of Princeton Seminary at that time, one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence. President Eisenhower stated this, Without God, there could be no American form of government, nor an American way of life. Recognition of the supreme being is the first, the most basic expression of Americanism. Thus the founding fathers of America saw it, and thus with God's help, it will continue to be. That's why it's so important that we understand our heritage and the torch that has been passed to us from our founding fathers. It was built upon biblical Christian principles. Those are the pillars that laid the foundation for our nation and one of the key reasons we're such a blessed and thriving nation to this day. And should those pillars begin to fall, can the house still stand? And how far we have gone from what our founding fathers originally wrote and intended for our country. Now, what is our role as Christians, as a church, in the political arena? Well, before I go into this, I needed to explain to you a little bit of our heritage to show you what a vital role the church and Christianity played in the foundation of our nation. Next thing we need to cover is the First Amendment. This is the First Amendment to the Bill of Rights. It's one of the most misapplied principles in our time today. It states this, Congress shall make no law concerning the establishment of religion, nor prohibiting the free exercise thereof. The First Amendment has been used, misused today, to state that there must be a clear separation between church and state. In other words, there can be no expression of religious faith on any public property. We, we can't have the Ten Commandments in our courtrooms. Uh, we can't have prayer in our government or city halls or in our public schools. We can't have the Bibles in there. We can't have any religious expression in these public or government arenas. That's a misuse, a misapplication and a gross misuse of the First Amendment. That's not what the Founding Fathers intended. Look at our history. It'd be very strange to understand our history and then think this is what the Founding Fathers intended. The First Amendment has two clauses. Congress shall make no law concerning the establishment of religion. This part is known as the Establishment Clause, or often called the Disestablishment Clause. And what it means is this, Congress may not use its power to establish an official or national religion. In other words, it is to keep the state out of religion, 
not religion, out of the state. In our time, it's been reversed. But the original intent of the Founding Fathers was to state that Congress cannot come along and say this is the one true denomination or this is the government-sanctioned church or the government-sanctioned denomination and all the tax breaks go there and we compel citizens to go to this one church that the government will endorse. Okay, that was to keep that from happening and promote religious freedom throughout the United States. Okay, the Founding Fathers wrote the First Amendment to prohibit the establishment of a national religion or denomination, not to prohibit public religious expression. Part two is called the Free Exercise Clause or the Religious Liberty Clause, nor prohibiting the free exercise thereof. This states that the Constitution protects religious liberty of citizens from any legislative act of Congress. Okay, the Founding Fathers, if you study our history, clearly intended a society of fervent faith freely encouraged by government for the benefit of all. They firmly asserted that religion was a general and public concern, the very key to liberty's survival and America's prosperity. George Washington, our first president in 1796, under his presidency, Congress gave land to the United Brethren for the purpose of propagating the gospel amongst the heathen. In 1803, in fact, the, the separation of church and state, the wall of separation, that is attributed to Thomas Jefferson. Okay, that's where the phrase first appears in his letter he was writing to the Danbury Baptists. But Thomas Jefferson, the man who is accredited with separation of church and state, in 1803, Congress granted money signed by President Jefferson for a church to do missionary work amongst Native American Indians. In fact, the first five presidents funded missionaries with tax revenue. So, they did not intend the First Amendment to mean there cannot be any religious expression in the public arena. It was to keep the state out of the church and not religion out of the state. In our time, that has been reversed and grossly misapplied. Many Christians get intimidated by those who cite the First Amendment to the Bill of Rights to say, hey, you can't bring Bibles to school. You can't pass out religious literature here on the government halls. And they get intimidated by that and they back off. How far we have come from what our founding fathers intended. A gross misapplication, misunderstanding of the First Amendment. Now that we have looked at our heritage, we've come to a little bit of an understanding of the First Amendment, what is our role? as Christians and as a church in the political arena here. Well, first of all, understand that the church is not a political movement. Mission of the church is to defend truth and make disciples. And as we defend truth and we transform lives for Jesus Christ, that will begin to influence the culture around us. But as the great church father Augustine one said the church functions as the moral conscience of society. The church is the one that proclaims truth and teaches a culture what is true and what is just and what is morally right, the foundations of a good and just and moral society. Romans chapter 13 verses 1 through 7 is the classic verse in which we understand what our role as believers is to be. And when you read that passage, it states, Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. So we are called to obey government. 
It's the vehicle by which God has ordained to execute just laws in the land. It says, The government is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath, to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. This is why you also pay taxes for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. We're called to obey our government. We're called to pay our taxes and to give government what is due. Now, having said that, when government goes against the laws of God, then there is a higher law that we are called to obey. And where there are unjust laws, we are called to do everything legally possible to change those laws. And when all legal means have been exhausted and it's not possible, then civil disobedience is to be considered. And we know that in the Bible, there are times when men of God disobeyed the government because they went against God's law. We see in the book of Daniel, when Daniel and his three friends were told to bow down to the idol the uh, king had made, they refused, and God blessed and honored their decision. When the maidservants refused Pharaoh's order to throw Hebrew children, uh, boys, baby boys, into the Nile, it says that God blessed them okay, for obeying God's law over man's law. We're also called in the Bible to pray for our leaders, our representatives, our mayor, our state representatives, our governor, our lieutenant governor. We're also called to pray for our national leaders and our national representatives. Second, we're called to vote and to vote intelligently. George Barna, in a recent poll, estimated there are approximately 59 million Christian voters in the United States. In the 2000 election, only 15 million voted. That's less than a third. In 2004, only about 19 million. And in the most recent election, only 20 million. And his poll further showed that 24 million Christians are not even registered to vote. So if people vote and vote intelligently, they can change the landscape of the land. Vote for those who uphold Biblical values, such as pro-life movement, biblical definition of family, educational values, such as abstinence. And most candidates are not going to line up exactly with your values. Probably some might, most won't. But pick the one okay, that closest matches the values that you share. And those are the ones that you want to vote for over loyalty or popularity. Loyalty to a particular party or popularity. Churches can inform members of bills such as HB 444 and encourage their members okay, to contact their representatives. It's not illegal for a pastor to come here and speak on such issues. In fact, our founding fathers, uh, in their time, pastors regularly spoke on the issues and government policies of their day. It's not illegal for pastors to do that and give information on how to contact your local legislators and state representative. Churches may register their members to vote. Churches can pass out the voter guides. Right? Churches cannot endorse one candidate. They can't say, hey, I'm 
you know, we endorse this guy. They can't do that. But they can pass out voter guides. That's not illegal to inform you how your candidates have voted and the values that they have. They can invite all the candidates to come and speak at the church. Okay? And you guys can ask them questions. And you have to extend the invitation to all the candidates, not just one. Pastors can address specific issues, such as same-sex marriage, abortion, okay? abstinence, education, and others. It's not illegal for them to do so. If the church is not going to inform its people on what's going on in the culture and the issues that we face and engage the ideas of the culture, who will? Who will? Christianity and the church played a vital role in the foundation of our nation from its very beginning to the formation of its government to its educational system. And the church cannot neglect its responsibility to continue to be a big part in engaging the ideas of our culture today, in defending truth, in proclaiming the gospel, and being involved in every arena of our culture, including the political arena. But the church, we cannot give up our responsibility in addressing and being involved in every area of the culture, even in the political arena. Lots of topics like these are at our website, evidenceandanswers.org. We want to encourage you to go to our website often, download all the information there, past shows, Pat's books and articles, interviews with leading experts, and a full analysis of spirituality and culture. You'll find the topics fascinating, you'll equip yourself, and you'll help us stay on the air. If you believe in a radio program that intelligently presents the claims of Christ and analyzes issues of faith and culture, then support us. Just go to evidenceandanswers.org, click on the donate button, and anytime that you purchase our resources, you help us stay on the air. That's evidenceandanswers.org, and we so look forward to hearing from you. We'll see you next time on Evidence and Answers with Pat Zuber.